Welcome to the Avenue. So good to be with you this morning. If the rain gets loud, they'll just turn my microphone up louder. How's that sound? Happy Mother's Day to all the ladies. So good to see each one of you this morning. Come on, put your hands together. Happy Mother's Day. We honor each lady in the place. Maybe a mom, maybe a mom-to-be, maybe a lady. It's just so good. I love how much uh, you give to the world, how much character and grace you teach us all. Thank you for investing into this world. I, I thank my wife being the mother of my three boys. Uh, this week, Dax wrote her a letter, and I stole it and brought it up here because I thought I'd share it with you this morning. From the heart of a four-year-old, he says, All about my mom by Dax. My mom's name is Mommy. It's the best. She is 19 years old, officially today, officially 19. My mom's job is to clean up at home and help me with my room. That is a full-time job, too. My mom is happiest when I give her one of my papers. You know those papers the kids bring home and you don't know what to do with them? Mom's so happy about those. My favorite thing to do with my mom is to play dinosaur. If I could buy, if I could buy my mom any gift, I'd buy her a heart. It's so sweet, I think. <laughs> my mom looks prettiest when she has flowers on her dress. How pretty she is today with flowers on her dress. My mom is awesome because she likes me. I love my mom more than I love the stores. And the best word to describe my mom is happy. If you look right here, he, wrote, he drew a little picture of Tara and Dax, but he forgot to put hair on Tara. He came back later and said he forgot to put hair on mom, and so they're both bald. Yesterday, while I was giving him a bath in the bathtub, I was shaving. He was taking a bath behind me, and he looked up, and he goes, Dad, Dad. I said, what? He said, you got a hole in your head. Dad, you got a hole in your head. I said, he said, does it hurt? Where's he come up with this stuff? I said, son, we haven't talked since. We're not on speaking terms. Let me say happy Mother's Day to my mom. Look in the camera and wish her a happy Mother's Day as well. Love you, mom. Thank you for investing into each one of us. My mom was saved in the 70s, came to faith in the 70s, and that one single salvation, that moment for her, transpired then into my dad and into relatives and has gone up and down. Five generations of people have come to faith in Christ that we know of right now from her one single moment of salvation coming to faith. Let me encourage you, moms, you're doing a lot more than you think. You're doing a lot more than you can see. You're doing a lot more than you know when you invest in your kids and lead them in faith to Christ Jesus. Mom, thank you so much for making that decision. People today are gathering because of your decision you made in 1970-something. So we honor you and say Happy Mother's Day to you and to each one that is taking care of their kids and raising them in the Lord as well. If you have your Bible, turn with me to the book of James. The book of James is in the New Testament. And as you look in there, let me give you a quick announcement that the last Sunday of the month, Memorial Day weekend, May the 28th, two weeks from today, we are having a family fun day right here. What does that mean? It means on that day, Memorial Day weekend, we'll be having one service at 10 o'clock. 
Tell somebody 10 o'clock. Not 9 o'clock. Not 1030. 10 o'clock in the middle. One service. 10 o'clock. Everybody's going to be in here together. Then we're going outside and having fun. We're going to have snow cones and food. It's going to be a great time. Play some games. Bring a lawn chair. Have a place to sit. We're going to have a fun day and celebrate together on May the 28th after one service here. James, the book of James, we launched this series last weekend. And as we did, we kind of built some context around it. James was a man... And this book is, is most likely about, was written in about uh, A.D. 48 to 49, which would put it as the oldest book in the New Testament. So even though it comes towards the end in the order of how they're laid out, the letter, the origin of the letter goes back to about 16 to 17 years after Jesus rose from the dead and ascended back into heaven. But James was a stepbrother, a half-brother of Jesus, same mother, different father. Jesus was, came through the virgin birth to Mary, not of the seed of Joseph, but then James, his three other brothers, and at least two other sisters came through Joseph together. So he's a half-brother. Now James is an interesting character. James is the man, as he writes this book, he's in your face. He parks his car in your driveway even though you didn't invite him to. He has conversations about things you don't want to talk about. He pulls up and says things to you that nobody else will. And we're unpacking in this book these conversations because they're going to be helpful to us today. Now, James had a nickname. A nickname so much so that sometimes they didn't even call him James. They just called him by the nickname. His name was James the Just because his level of virtue was so high. His, his level of compromise was so low. His character level was so high that they nicknamed him, nicknamed him the Just. So they would walk around saying, James the Just. And because of that, he had a boldness about him. But it wasn't just his boldness and his justice that set him apart. He also had a prayer life. There was something about him that drew him into times of prayer. He would be known to be in the synagogue and in the temple praying throughout the day for the church, for the believers, for the unbelievers. He had a heart to write this letter to the Jewish people scattered because of persecution. Because his prayer life was so intense, they say that his knees began to resemble the knees of a camel and being hardened on the outside, it was recognizable. The prayer life he had on the inside began to be seen on the outside because he knelt in prayer so much that his knees wore raw and they were hardened on the outside because of his fervor for prayer. What a reputation this man has for a man for, just, a man for justice and a man of prayer. He is welcome to speak into our lives this morning and lead us into some direction that we need. So last week we talked about the beginning of his book, chapter one. We opened up with the first eight verses, I believe, and we talked about testing. That testing is designed to help me understand. I can hope for the test, look forward to the test, anticipate the test, knowing that the test is proof that I'm gonna graduate. So many people despise the test, hate the test, don't look forward to the test because they're not prepared for it. But when you are prepared and ready for the test, you should anticipate it, look forward to it, because now you get to level up. Go back and watch it last week if you weren't here, and enjoy that message. This morning, we're going to talk about something different, because today he's going to shift gears. James jumps around a lot in his book. He's not always on the same point. He'll, he can jump from moment to moment, subject to subject. And this morning, he's going to jump, last week from testing, this morning to temptation. And temptation is oftentimes misunderstood. We don't know the source. We don't know where it comes from. We don't know why it's there. We don't know why it keeps bothering us. We don't know that 
things about us or things about somebody else. And there's a lot of questions about temptation. And James addresses it head on. So we're going to dive into it real quick here while the rain is on a pause. In James chapter 1, verse 13, it says this. When tempted, no one should say, God is tempting me. Now notice he doesn't open up and say, if you're tempted, let no one say. He says, when you're tempted, as in it's going to happen. As in it's not a matter of if, it's just a matter of when. And when you are tempted, nobody should blame God and go, God's tempting me again. God will test you. God will let you walk through a trial. God does not tempt us. For God cannot be tempted by evil, nor does he tempt anyone. God cannot be tempted, and he doesn't use temptation to work through your life. But each person is tempted when they're dragged away by their own evil desire and enticed. Then after desire has conceived, it gives birth to sin, and sin, when it's full grown, gives birth to death. The grandchild of desire is death. Death, sin, desire. They're all linked together, and they all come into your life through temptation. But here's the good news. But don't be deceived, brothers and sisters. Every good and perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of heavenly lights, who does not change like shifting shadows. He chose to give us birth through the word of truth that we might be a kind of first fruits of all that he has created. This morning I've called this message RSVP as we study part two of the series of James. Let's pray. God, we thank you for what you're doing in this space. God, we thank you for every mom and speak a blessing over their life, every lady and speak a blessing over them. Lord, I pray that you would give them considerable favor today. This a day we honor them, but in their lives consistently they see your hand moving and touching them. Lord, we thank you for your word. Let it speak to us right now. Come alive and be real to each one of us and change us according to your ways. In Jesus' name, everybody said? Now, I think we need to lay the groundwork right here. That everybody must understand that inside of you, we are naturally born sinners. We're born into this world knowing how to sin. Adam and Eve came into the world through creation. They came in not sinful creatures. But when they sinned, they brought us under the curse, and every son and daughter of Adam and Eve ever since has now been born into sin, born with a sinful nature. This is why the world has to be thrown away at the end of time, and then a new heaven and a new earth will be created where we will no longer be influenced by sin and temptation anymore. But while we're in this place, we see that temptation is real, and we have a sinful nature inside of us that we're fighting with, we're challenged with, that's attacking us daily, multiple times a day. How many of y'all believe you have a sinful nature? Now, if you did raise your hand, maybe you don't have any kids. Because your kids haven't tested you lately. And you haven't seen that that child didn't go to school to learn. They learned reading, and they learned writing, and they learned math, and they learned science, but they didn't have to learn how to lie, how to cheat, and how to steal. It's in there, and it just comes out. I've got a four-year-old, and he has learned how to lie, cheat, and steal, and practice it all within the last year. Dax, the cute little boy that wrote this lovely letter about mom. One day, we gave the boys some candy. It was a holiday. They all got little Reese cups. Frankie knew, I gotta go hide them. 
He knew if I don't hide them, Dax is going to eat them. Dad might get them. So he goes and hides them. <laughs> and a short while later, I think the next day, he comes home and there's a litter, a trail of litter, trash, just Reese cup wrappers that are all left behind. Dax has gone out of his way and found the hiding space, eaten all the Reese cups, left the trash behind, and then lies about it. Do you know anything about that trash? Chocolate everywhere. Fingers covered in Reese cups. Do you know where that trash came from? Just lying away. The other day I was working, I was in the office. Me and Dax, Archie were the only ones home. The three of us. Archie's a dog, so it wasn't him. I was in my office, had a Coke Zero, had a straw in it, was drinking it while I was working. Stepped out of the office for five minutes, came back into the office, and the Coke Zero was gone. Wasn't the dog. Let's hope not. Go to Dax. Did you drink my Coke Zero? Nobody else is home. Was it Mom? Was it Frankie? Was it Luca? Was it you? Learns how to lie just like that. Stealing my Coke Zero. Tara bought this game, Go Fish. It's not a complicated game. If y'all play Go Fish, pretty simple game, pretty easy. Get five cards, different kind of sea life, sea creatures. You look at your cards, you ask somebody else. Do you have a lobster? If they have it, they give it to you. You have a pair, you lay it down. If they don't, you say, go fish. So Dax and I were playing, and he crushes me, like 10 to 4. A 45-year-old man loses to a 4-year-old out of nowhere. Upset of the year. So I'm watching what he does. I said, Dax, the next game, do you have a squid? Dax looked at me and goes, go fish. Fine, I'll fish. He looks back, Dad, you have a squid? He learned how to cheat. I didn't teach him how to cheat. I'm showing him how to win. What is it that's inside of us that is naturally there that is working against you that you don't even realize? It's not your friend. It's your foe. It's not for you. It's against you. You don't have to stay that way. You can be changed. You don't have to think like that always. You can renew your mind. You don't have to live that way. It can be different. Just because somebody else was like that, just because you were that way before, doesn't mean you have to stay like that and fall to that temptation that leads to sin in your life. But so many times people, one, don't accept that we have a sin nature, and because of it, it causes us to need a Savior. So let's define sin. Sin, the best definition of sin, is simply this, missing the mark. If we were going to define sin, and we need to, it's missing the mark. I aim for it, and I miss. Now, the word sin actually comes from an old English word that was used in the sport of archery. So the archer would pull back the bow, release the arrow, and it didn't matter if he missed by one mile or one millimeter. If he missed the target at all, they'd say, sin, he missed. So we take this term now, and we pull it out. It's the word we use for a transgression against God that leads to separation in our life. It doesn't matter if you miss by a millimeter or by a mile. If you miss the mark of God's righteousness and his holiness, you have sin. This is sin that's in our lives. This is the thing that separates us from God. It's missing the mark. This is why Paul wrote in Romans 3.23, For all have sinned, all have missed the mark, and fallen short of the glory of God. Maybe I tried. Maybe I tried really hard. 
But in my sin, I come up short. I miss the mark every time. It caused Paul to cry out and say, wretched man that I am, sinful nature that I have, what am I supposed to do? Understand that because of your sin, there we need a Savior. What, what do we need to save from? From our sin, but we often can live free and overcoming of our temptation. So let's define temptation. Temptation is simply defined this way. It's an invitation that promises satisfaction, but the result is separation from God. Let me say it again. Temptation is an invitation. It will promise you satisfaction, but the result is separation from God. So it promises you something that you go, yes, I want it, I enjoy it, I need it, that's my life, that's what I want. But the result is now you're further separated from God because you missed the mark. God sets the standard of holiness and righteousness, and we're aiming towards it. But temptation is what gets in the way. Temptation wants to malign us. It's evil in nature and intention, and it is designed to keep us separated from God. So now that we've laid the foundation that we are sinners, what sin is, what temptation is, let me go through a couple points here real quick. If you're taking notes, you should write this down. Number one, that although we have sin nature, being tempted is not a sin. It's very important to understand this because a lot of people feel the guilt of temptation when they shouldn't. The enemy is the one that makes you feel guilty for temptation. God only convicts you of sin. And so many times we misread misunderstand that just because I'm tempted, it doesn't mean I've stepped into sin. That is sin. That temptation is the idea conceived in my mind. And when I think it, I have to choose, will I act on it or will I not? An invitation for temptation. I have to choose, am I going to sin or am I going to win? Do I want to go this way or that way? Do I want to feed the flesh or do I want to feed the spirit of God that's in me? But the temptation itself is not a sin. How do we know that? Because Jesus himself was tempted. We see Jesus walking on the earth, fully God, fully man, walking along, and he was tempted. And yet the scripture says about him in Hebrews 4.15, we do not have a high priest who is unable to empathize, understand our weaknesses. But we have this one, Jesus who has been tempted in every way, just as we are, yet he did not sin. That's encouraging to understand that temptation is not a sin, and Jesus was tempted, so he gets it, and it encourages us to understand that we can live overcoming temptation and not giving in to the sin around us. Jesus was tempted, and at the root of every sin, I think every sin you face and fight, Every sin you fear, every sin that comes along your way is rooted all the way back down. John gives it to us in 1 John 2, 16. He said, for everything in the world comes down to this. The lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life. This comes not from the Father, but from the world. So the things you want, the things you see, the pride that's inside of you, materialism, wanting things that don't belong to you, the pride that you have, everything, every sin that you're tempted with comes down, has a root system, a platform that comes off of these. And yet we see Jesus being tempted in the wilderness after baptism, before ministry, 
He goes out and fasts 40 days and 40 nights, walks into the wilderness, led by the Spirit. And as he's at the end of this 40-day period, the devil himself comes to tempt Jesus and gives him three temptations. Turn this stone, turn these bread into, turn these stones into bread and eat. Jesus had just fasted. He tempted him. He said, hey, go up on the top of the pinnacle of the temple and throw yourself down. Because the Bible says it's, the angels will catch you. He tempts Jesus three different times, yet Jesus overcomes all three temptations, is victorious, uses scripture to defeat the devil, and in doing so, proves to us that being tempted is not sin because Jesus lived a sinless life. So in this world, many times, you and I will face this, and when we get tempted, we fall back into this fake guilt. This false sense of, well, I may as well do it. And that's what happens is we, we go back, well, I may as well do it because I thought about doing it. And if I thought about doing it, I must have already, it must be in me, so I just can't change. But I want to try to dissect that because we, we can overcome, we can change, and just because we're tempted by it doesn't mean we have to stay that way. We can resist the urges that come our way. Number two, being above temptation is not possible. Now, this does not mean you can't overcome temptation and victory. It just means that while we're on this earth, you will be tempted. You will be attacked. You will have surges and urges come along that want to lead you and guide you, that you have to resist and put behind you so that you can rise above them, but understand you will be tempted. Temptation will still come knocking at your door. Paul wrote in 2 Corinthians 10, so you, you think you're standing firm? Be careful that you don't fall. And this is a really good word for many people because oftentimes when we see somebody else slip up, somebody else's marriage fall apart, somebody else's life crumble down, you can condemn them. I saw that coming. They're a wild card. I knew they would do that. And you can kick them. But Paul is saying, be careful. Because the moment you think you're above it and you can't do that, you're one step away from becoming that yourself. So why don't you walk up to them and show them mercy? Because blessed are the merciful, for they shall obtain mercy. So when you see somebody fall, to be sure that you don't rise to a place of pride, come alongside them. Hey, it's going to be okay. Get your life back on track. Run and wrap arms around them and help pick them up and encourage them. Because too many times we look at situation and people and go, man, they just wasted it. They lost it all. I would never do that. And the moment those words come out of our mouth, I think you make yourself a target because now you have pride and the devil says, I'll hit you right there. Understanding that in this world we will be tempted in your strength and in your weakness. Your weaknesses. I, I, you know what? I, I have a tendency to just use my mouth to just go off on people, say things. I get cut off in traffic. I yell at somebody. I cuss them out. Somebody does something I don't like. They put mayonnaise on my burger. I let them know what I think of them. I just don't. And you just have a weakness. The devil is constantly going to put mayonnaise on your burger if you can't get over it. Now, he's not going to come into McDonald's and put it on there, but somehow it's going to arrive on there because I've seen it done. I can order burgers all day long. No mayonnaise. They still keep coming. Because it's a temptation in my life to let the person know they cut you off in traffic. They're not doing their job at work. Somebody's got to hold them accountable. You feel the responsibility to weigh, that, to weigh in on it. 
And it happens over and over. Maybe it's more so because you have a weakness of temptation to speak into that when you shouldn't be. Because he'll attack you in your weakness. He'll also attack you in your strengths. He'll come at you where you're strong. He'll come at you at a place that you know you're gifted and talented in. Man, you sing so good. You're the voice of an angel. You sing so good. And yet pride can rise up inside of you because you're singing for the praises of people. I hope when I get to heaven, angels can't sing that well. When I get there, I hope they sound like me so I can be like, I got the voice of an angel too. I knew it all along. My mom was right. Happy Mother's Day. It's got to be hard when you live and you have a strength, but it gets attacked constantly. I tell Tara, I told her yesterday, it must be hard to be that pretty. Look at that strength you have in your life. Just a pretty face. The devil trying to come along and attack you all the time. It gets you arrogant. It gets you caught up. It gets you better than somebody else. It's a strength you have. You didn't do it for yourself. You're gifted in a certain area. You sing so good. You lead so well. Whatever it might be, the devil will attack you in a weakness or a strength that doesn't matter to him. He's coming with a plan. So he goes on to say, if you think you're standing firm, be careful. Be careful that you don't fall. Now, science has told us that when you give in, this is what they say, when you give in to whatever that desire is, now we call it temptation, science calls it desire, whatever you give in, whenever you give in to what that temptation is, your brain releases a little chemical called dopamine. And when it does, it begins an addictive behavior, behavior in your life. So you go, oh, that was good. I want more of that. Oh, that was great. I want to do that again. Oh, that was fun. Let me do that again. And every time you give in to that desire inside of you, physically, chemically, your brain releases dopamine and you go, mm, and it's a, it's a, something hits your bloodstream and you get a thrill, a high. That's the joy that covers you, the happiness that hits you. And you're like, oh, yes. And you build a pattern and you go back to it and a tendency to go back to it again and again and again. But what happens is then that dopamine wears off, the hit doesn't continue, you come crashing down, and now you feel like this, guilty, shameful, remorseful, and regretful. Why did I do it? Why do I keep messing up? Why did I say that again? Why did I go there again? Why did I call her again? Why again? Because you did it because that desire is remembered as a hit and a high. But what happens is you don't remember the low and how bad it hurts. And the, Bible, the, the science has told us that this happens when we give in to desires we have. That's why people get, some people change cars out all the time because they get addicted to that. They get that hit, that high that hits them and they don't, financially, maybe they can, but maybe they can't. It's not wise, but they're constantly doing it because people applaud them for it, because people look at it, they like it, because it's just a drive they have inside of them. There's something that happens in you physically as well. But the Bible gives us hope, because this is not a hopeless message, because it doesn't bring a lot of hope so far. So we're born with a simple nature. There's always going to be temptations in life. So, Pastor, give us some hope, and I'm going to because this is what Paul continued to write in chapter 10, verse 13. He says, But no temptation has overtaken you except what is common to mankind. And God is faithful. That's a place to clap your hands. And God is faithful. And God is faithful. 
When you're faithless, he's faithful. When you mess up, he's faithful. When you sin, he's faithful. When you give in the desire, he's faithful. When you make that decision that goes against him and creates separation, God is faithful. He will not let you, and listen to these two promises. You need to know these. He will not let you be tempted beyond what you can bear. So he draws a line and goes, that's it. They can't handle anymore. No more temptations. He'll let you be tested all the way beyond what you can handle. We talked about that last week. But when it comes to temptation, no, no, no. He can't handle anymore. That's it right there. I want to see what he does with that. And then he promises this, and I'll give you a way out. For every temptation, there's a way out. For every temptation, there is an escape. Every temptation, God's got a hatch waiting for you to jump through. He's got a plan, an exit strategy. You can escape and not give in. This is his care, his love, and his concern for you. He is faithful to these two promises. Not more than you can bear and a way out. It is not hopeless. It is not a dead end. It is not uh, the end. It is not over. You can win and you can live victorious. But you got to know the source. You have to know where do these temptations come from. Number three, write this down. Know this. God does not tempt you. He does not tempt you. He will test you. He'll allow trials to come, but he will not tempt you. James says, when tempted, no one should say, God is tempting me, for God cannot be tempted by evil, nor does he tempt anyone. So where does it come from? If temptation does not come from God, it must come from other people. Other people tempted me all day long, Pastor. Other people tempted me. They called me, they tempted me. They showed up, they tempted me. They know my vice, they know my weakness. They tempt me. People are not tempting you. Stop blaming other people for the choices you make. Because when you accuse somebody else of tempting you, now you're moving the blame on them and you need to own the choice and the decision for yourself. People don't tempt you. It's not God, it's not people. It must be the devil. It must be the devil tempting me. Now the devil is known as a tempter, but the devil does not create temptation in your life. He just uses what's already there. The moment you think he's the tempter because he creates temptation is the moment you give him more credit and power than he deserves. Never put the devil in a place that he is equal with God, just the opposite. He's not God-like at all. He wanted to be, but he wanted to be because he knew he wasn't. He cannot bring temptation into your life. He just works with the product, works with whatever uh, material you give him to use, which tells us if it's not God, if it's not other people, if it's not the devil, it's me. And that's what James says. He says, from my evil desires in me. So what's in you, those things that you want, that sinful nature, is just the material that the devil uses. He'll go and influence somebody else and work through them to tempt you. But it's a desire still that's in your heart to start with. It originated in you. And this thing in you, this sin entices you he goes on, he says, but each person is tempted when they're dragged away by their own evil desire and enticed. Any fishermen? Any fishermen? Fishermen? We got a couple fishermen. 
I fish once a year. I go fly fishing. I'm officially a fisherman. Once a year. One time I was fishing, and I, I didn't even know how to bait my hook when I first started going. Go fly fishing. Didn't know how to bait my hook. The guide would bait it, and I'd just stand there. And when you fly fish, it's a whole different experience. And as, I, as you do, put the bait on that hook. Now the fish is smart enough to understand he's not looking for breakfast called a shiny hook. He doesn't want a stainless steel hook in his jaw for lunch. Right, Brian? He's looking for bait. You got to hide it and camouflage it. You got to put that fish, you got to give that fish something that he doesn't see coming. He sees a little worm. He sees a little worm down there. Oh, that's what he wants. And he comes along and bites into that worm. His own desire leads him and lures him away. And he can't see what's truly there because his desire is hiding it. And his eyes only see what he's allowed to see. So when you're tempted, you have to understand it comes in the form of an invitation. When I teach my boys about sin, we have these conversations about temptation. I give them something sweet. Now with Frankie, I took him and got him a vanilla frappuccino. Everybody like a vanilla frappuccino? Everybody likes a vanilla frappuccino. Frankie, you like that vanilla frappuccino? Oh, I like it, Dad. I like it a lot. He was young. I like it a lot. I got him a big one. Venti with whipped cream. And he's eating this whole thing. I said, you know what's good about that vanilla frappuccino? The vanilla extract inside of it gives it that flavor. And that's what you love about it. It's the vanilla inside of it. The vanilla is for cooking. It's for cookies. It's for cakes. It's for custard. Vanilla flavors all of this. And all of a sudden, I build an appetite for it, a desire for it. And I want that vanilla. I was like, you, you like vanilla? I said, this is it. It's vanilla extract. Smell it. Oh, so good, Dad. So good, Dad. Oh, that, that's so good. That's it. That's, that's what's in there, son. That's the secret ingredient. That's why your frap tastes so good. Let me tell you something. You can have just vanilla extract if you want. You ain't got to do the frap. Cookies, custard, or cakes. You want a drink? And he took the bottle. Oh, I got him a big drink of vanilla extract. And spit it everywhere. And I said, that son is temptation. Because you don't see it coming. And you think it's sweet. And you think it's fun. And you think it's good. And that's the way it goes down. And it burns and it hurts. And you regret it and you're remorseful. And you feel, I'll never do that again. So you go back to Starbucks. And you smell that vanilla frap again. And you give in over and over. Because it's baited and lured just for you. You've got to realize the enemy knows what he's doing. He's got a plan. He's got something that he's working out. And he knows who you are to build a game plan just for you. Coaches, this time of year, spring football, having practices. Coach, you got to get on the field. Son, get in the classroom. Coach, we got to get on the field. We got to practice. Son, get in the classroom. Coach, we got to get on the field. We got to practice. Got to work out. Got to get ready for the games coming up in the fall. Son, get in the room. Put the video on. But coach, why were we watching a video of last year's game? I want to play football. Because, son, we're going to watch the team and see their tendencies. We're going to find their weaknesses. And when we watch this game film, the script is going to tell us where, when we get on the field, to attack them at. We're going to understand where they're weak 
where they're strong and how to get after them. The devil knows where you're weak and where you're strong. He knows where to attack your marriage. He knows where to attack your life. He knows where to attack your kids. He knows, hey, if I can get her fearful about her kids, I can bring her down. If I can get him paranoid, if I can get him scared, if I can get him worried about finances, everything else in this world comes down. He watches your film and knows your tendencies. He works with the desires and the material you give him to bring temptation and form it into sin as it manifests when you choose it. So what do we do? There's a way out. There's a promise of a way out. Number four, you will not be tempted with more than you can handle. There is always a way out. And for each one of us, it might be different. A short list might be confession. You got to find somebody and talk to them. Not to confess your sin to them for forgiveness, but for healing. Talk to God, repentance. God, I need help. I can't keep doing this. I don't want to be this way. For some of you, that's your step, and that's a great step. But it might also be a continual conversation with somebody else. That when the moment is on and the situation is there and the temptation is luring and it's baited on the hook, you got to pick up your phone and call somebody and go, man, oh, right now it's difficult. It's challenging. And they talk you down off that ledge. you got to have somebody in accountability that you can have that conversation with. It's wisdom. Wisdom to just know. That's what James said. If anybody lacks wisdom, let them ask God who gives generously. God, I need to know the difference. Know the difference between this lore, this bait, and what you have for me. Because the Bible says every good gift comes from the Father, which must tell me that there's some bad things from my life coming from somewhere else, and I need to know the difference. Single people got to know the difference when somebody comes along. Is that from God, or is that a trap? Is that a snare? Is that bait. And the only way to ask God, God is this gift from you, but you have to be in a relationship with him to ask him that. Let me give you four quick things to do. Four quick ways to overcome temptation. Number one is prayer. I know it just seems like a, a throw, like a layup, prayer. But prayer is so important. Prayer is so vital. Prayer is the exercise in your spirit that makes you stronger. When I first started going to the gym, I hated it. And my motto was simply this. I started back last October. And my motto for 90 days, 90 days, I didn't have a plan of action at the gym at all. I just told myself, just show up. Just show up. All I had to do, five days a week, just show up. Just show up. When I got there, I'd figure it out. When I got there, I'd work something out. When I got there, I'd do something. But I just had to show up. Listen to me. In your prayer life, some of you need to get that motto. When it comes to prayer, just show up five minutes, one minute, 10 minutes, 15 minutes, whatever it is, just show up. It's in my calendar. It's in my moment. I'm going to pray, but I got to just show up. And then also when that trial is there, when that temptation is there, you have it in you and you go, God, right now I see that thing. And I know the difference between what the world has for me, my desires and what you have for me. And I need the strength to choose what you have for me. Throw up that prayer and God will provide a way out and you will not be given more than you can handle. Prayer. Jesus said, watch and pray that you do not fall into temptation. Why? Because the spirit is willing, but the flesh is weak. You can fall into temptation. I've never known anybody to fall into holiness, righteousness, 
You got to pray your way into those moments, into that lifestyle. But temptation can just be fallen into in a moment. Number two, God's word. It's my daily bread. It's my nourishment. David said, I've hidden your word in my heart. It's down deep inside. I've devoured it. I taste and see that the Lord is good. I eat your word on a regular basis that I might not sin against you. Why? Because Jesus himself used the word of God to fight off the enemy. He used scripture that was already written and that was his tool to fight against temptation and it can be yours too. If it worked for Jesus, it will work for us. Number three, the right people. Because being with the wrong people never helped you do the right thing. The wrong crowd never leads to the right place. And some of you need to change the people in your life. But we go way back. You go back, but you can't go forward with them. Change the people out. Let them go. Delete the contact. It hurts. It's hard. Your future depends on it. Change the places you go. You open up your maps and you see recent. Well, I've been going there a lot. I keep getting tempted a lot. I keep sinning a lot. There might be a correlation. Listen to what the Bible says. Do not be misled. He said, don't get it wrong. Bad company corrupts good character. Oh, you're a good person. You're a good character. But bad company wins. Bad company corrupts good character. Come back to your senses as you should. You ought to do. And stop sinning. Bad company leads to sin in your life. And you need to change the people and change the places of habit. Number three, number four, ask God for help. Why? Because God said every good and perfect gift is from above and comes down from the Father. And he is willing to help you. He has promised you a way out and he has promised you not more than you can bear. You have to ask for help. Would you stand with me? Because every sin, as I close out, I'll tell you this story. Every sin is an invitation. Every sin you face is an invitation of some sort. It's an invitation into your life to win or to sin. Temptation is not a sin. You receive this thing in the mail. It's kind of old-fashioned. It's an envelope. A man or woman bring this to the, brings this to your home six days a week. Puts it in a box outside. You go retrieve it, bring it in, open it up, and you find out what's inside. It's addressed to you right there. My name is on it. Not yours, mine. Why? Because what's inside is specifically hand-tailored for me in my life. If this arrives at your mailbox, you have to surrender it and give it back, otherwise it's theft. So I open it up because it's got my name on it and I see that inside I'm invited to attend an event. I'm invited to attend an event because temptation is an invitation and I've been invited. Hey Dave, we want you to attend this event. Would you please RSVP? Now being an ignorant American, I always thought RSVP was respond soon, very promptly. Some of y'all thought that too. It does not. Let me give you some French. If you're French in here and I offend you, I'm so sorry. RSVP, répondez s'il vous plaît. That's not bad. Redoupez s'il vous plaît. It literally means just please respond. 
because they would send out an invitation and ask for a response. Will you be attending? Will you not be, be attending? You would check a box and send it back. Now, I heard apparently they don't send RSVP anymore. Now they send out something, you get it in the mail, tailored to you, addressed to you, and it just says regrets only. So if you're not gonna be there, you let them know. But if you plan on attending, you just show up. What's the point of all this? The point is this, invitations and temptations come in the same package and you gotta realize you have to understand how to respond and say, hey, hey, I'm not checking the box. I'm not gonna be there. I respectfully decline. I'm not coming to your temptation party. I'm not coming to that event. I'm not getting drawn into that. You can't bait me anymore. I'm not RSVPing to that sinful nature any longer. Why? What keeps me different? I can pray myself through. I can read the word of God. I can get new friends. I can get in small groups. I can ask God for help because greater is he that is in me than he that's in the world. Greater is the spirit of God inside of me at work against my evil desires and my sinful nature. This is the promise of God. You no longer have to live as a slave to the enemy being led around by your desires, by your lust, by your greed, by your pride, that wherever it turns, you have to follow. You can break free. You can come clean. And the blood of Jesus can set you free. And the other side of salvation, you'll still fight temptation. It'll still come your way. But now that you've experienced victory, now that you know what it's like to be free, you can live victorious because greater is he that's in me than the evil desires that are in me. Greater is he that is in me. Greater is the spirit of God that's in my life than the evil desires. How many of y'all have been responding to temptation? Responding to that invitation? I think so many times we don't even know and recognize it. It's baited so well. That lure is set so good. Just like that fish comes along, just grab onto it. And all of a sudden we're out of control and we no longer have a hold of anything and we're just being drugged around. This morning you can step into a place of freedom and victory. This is a hopeful message. Because James said, temptation's real. It's coming your way. God doesn't tempt you always a way out. Would you close your eyes for a moment? I'm going to invite the prayer team to come down the front and join me here. But I want to pray with you in your seat right there and then give you a space to pray. But in your seat right there, I want you to look inside your heart. Just look in your life. This is a moment where you can personally inspect what is in your life. Because in there, what evil desires are there that you need to deal with? If you will expose them, you can eliminate them. You keep falling trap, falling into the same trap, giving into the same sin, messing up the same way. It's time to get that thing out. Have a conversation with God. Ask God for help. I don't pray with you. Maybe there's somebody here today and you say, Pastor, where do I start? The starting place is always salvation. It's always the first step you'll ever take. You can never live in victory continually until you experience complete freedom from sal at salvation. 
So for the believer, you can live and you can overcome temptation. But for an unbeliever, someone who does not have Christ living in their life, you cannot overcome temptation and sin. So I invite you this morning, make that your decision. Today I want to surrender, surrender my life fully to Jesus. Give all that I am to him. It's not fair. It is for us, not for him. We give him our sin, our missing the mark, our mistakes and our error, and he becomes our savior. And we change our course of destiny. So you choose not to pay for your sins in hell, but let Jesus pay for them with his death. So we're going to pray across this room. If you're watching online, no matter where you are, what you're going through, I'm going to ask you to pray out loud. Speak this prayer out. And if today is your day to pray in faith and step into a relationship with Jesus, invite him into your life, do that. But if you also are in a place where you just go, God, I need help today. This temptation has been kicking my tail. I can finally understand why it keeps messing with me. It's because it's inside of me and I got to get it out. I want to pray for you as well. Would you open your mouth and say this prayer? Let me lead you in it. Use words, something like this. Say, Jesus, I invite you into my life. I receive your invitation. You are my Lord and my master. My God and my Savior. Forgive me of my sins and make me clean. Use my life. I choose you. Lead me not into temptation and deliver us from evil. Be my God and my Savior. In Jesus' name. Father, I pray for these people. I pray for this church. God, I pray for the hearts and the lives of each person. God, I pray for children. I pray for single people. I pray for married people. I pray for women. I pray for men. I pray for older people. I pray for people that are here for the first time. I pray for people that have been coming here a long time. I pray for people that know their names and I don't know their name. You know each one. And God, I pray that you would be so real to us in this season, in this moment. You have delivered a message like this just to emphasize that we have an enemy who wants to steal and kill and destroy. But you are a God who brings life, an abundant life for each one of us. Let us see we don't have to give in to the urges and surges of sin and temptation any longer. But we can overcome, for greater is he that is in me than he that is in this world. So God, I declare, we will live victorious and we will live free in Jesus' mighty name. 